0: worshiping God, we're going to look into, this, into the, uh, the book of John, and we're going to read from our scripture this morning, the word of God that is, that is in chapter 20, verses 11 through 18. We are picking up with the story of the, of the Easter season with the, the witness of what people saw when Jesus was raised from the dead. And so this Sunday, we're dealing with the first witness, and then there are a number of witnesses who will be coming and representing what they saw to us on that day of resurrection and so this this is from john's gospel and he's recorded it for us that we might hear him talk about jesus and put our faith and our trust in the lord hear now the word of god now mary stood outside the tomb crying as she wept she bent over to look into the tomb and saw two saw two angels in white seated where Jesus' body had been, one at the head and the other at the foot. And they asked her, woman, why are you crying? They've taken my Lord away, she said, "and, and I don't know where they have put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there. But she did not realize that it was Jesus and he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you were looking for? And thinking that he was the, the gardener, she said, sir, if, if you have carried him away, t- tell me where you have put him, and, and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him and, and cried out in Aramaic, Rabboni which means teacher. And Jesus said, "Do not hold on to me, for I have not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them, I am ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God." And Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news, "I have seen the Lord." And she told them that he had what he had said said these things to her. This is the Word of God. You may be seated. One of the things that is amazing to me in the times that we live is is how people who uh, who have been given positions of authority to speak about God uh, specifically in higher educational institutions of our land are basically people who no longer believe in the resurrection of Christ or in Christ himself as the Son of God. And one of the things you'll see over the times that we are living is, is that there has been an explanation that has been going on since the resurrection itself of where is the body of Jesus. One particular professor of religion of a famous university in North Carolina uh, is, is basically no, is now an atheist, and admittedly so. But in discussing about this business of Jesus and the tomb, one of the things that is obvious is that no one has ever produced the body of Jesus. And if they had, then everything that Christ said and what we believe is a hoax. And so there's been a defense of the gospel in many ways, but in particular when you find people who are, who are growing up in the church and then come to a place where they become supposedly well-educated, and then they begin to doubt and to basically fall away from the faith, they have to justify that falling away by beginning to attack the faith itself. And that's what's happened to this particular person's mind. In speaking about the body of Jesus, one of the solutions that he offers in one of his books that is being sold as, as the truth of what happened at Easter one of his proposals is that basically we know from the crucifixion in those days that many of the bodies that were crucified by the Romans were basically left in public for the hogs to eat. And so he surmises that most probably what happened to Jesus' body after the crucifixion is that it was fed to the hogs. And that the disciples hid, the, hid this particular item so that they, they could further promulgate a a false narrative among the people and somehow elevate Jesus even though he was not the son of God when I read such things like that I, I find it very shocking I find it shocking because I believe what the scriptures tell us to be true and it's not because I'm an imbecile or don't have a mind or a thought in my in my brain but this particular passage this morning gives more evidence for the truthfulness of how John is reporting the, 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 uh, the resurrection than basically anything you would find in any legal court since the time that this happened. What do I mean by that? Well, there are events that happened during the time of Jesus' burial that are particularly important historically to understand the veracity of the story being true. True. And one of the truths is that it was customary for women to go and gather the body and through ceremony prepare it for its final resting place. And that is exactly what Mary and others did. We found out earlier in this chapter that they had gone to the tomb. They had gone to the tomb to basically finish the work of burial, of wrapping Jesus' body and when they got to the tomb, they found it open. Now, the interesting part of that is that they are women. And it's not to men that it's not to men that Jesus reveals himself. It is to a woman. Now, you're going to find some of this offensive in our day because of equal rights and the movement to give freedom to women in ways they've not had them before. But in the days that Mary Magdalene lived, women were not considered to be viable witnesses in a court of law. In other words, if you were going to substantiate a court case, you would, well, the last person you would call would be a woman. Because in those days, I guess they felt that women were not trustworthy in recalling the actual facts of the resurrection or any other kind of legal matter. But here God in his great infinite wisdom has done something that really would surprise many people. And so in looking at the first witness this morning there are some things that we need to cover uh, concerning this witness of Mary who was from Magdala. Since being the first witness here's what we find. We find the who, the what, and the where. What do I mean by that? Well Very quickly, if you go back to the text, you will see that she is called Mary Magdalene, which is derived from a town called Magdala. It's a town on the western side of Galilee. It wasn't far from where Peter and John and the rest of them grew up. In fact, you would say it's like Denver. Now, I know that some of you don't know people in Denver, but many of you do. And most likely, Mary was someone who was very well known particularly because of what happened in her life. You see, she was from the town of Magdala, but she was also someone who was infamous from, from her position of being in Magdala. Unfortunately, the scriptures tell us that she, uh, she was not what was later labeled to her as a prostitute. There's nowhere in the scriptures you'll find that she was in prostitution. But what we do find in Luke's gospel, chapter 8, is that basically it mentions her there as one of the group of women who followed Jesus and supported his ministry from her own means. Did you know that, women? That those 12 disciples and Jesus as they traveled and Jesus taught, that there were women involved in that, and they were there supporting Jesus and giving money and time and effort to make sure that these men, the 12 disciples and particularly Christ, had the necessities that they would need in order to carry out the ministry that Jesus gave for three years. What was even more astounding is the what is that she was a person who came to that place of devotion to Jesus because Jesus had cast out of her several demons, according to Luke, that were plaguing her life. And you say, well, what do, what do you mean the demon? What is that about? Did, did she have... Horns and a pitchfork? No, in the days that this happened, those who saw people and labeled them as demon-possessed were people who had insane ravings or they were self-destructive. You, you've seen people who cut themselves, haven't you, or heard of this? Uh, you, there are also there's other antisocial behavior. Many times of those who were considered demon-possessed would literally walk around nude. And they would refrain from clothing themselves. They could have seizures, dumbness, deafness, blindness. But most interestingly, they would perform or do things involuntarily and being led by some evil spirit in their lives. You know what I think? I think what happened in that church in Tennessee was demonic. And the woman who did that needed the grace of God in her life because what she did was indeed influenced by a demonic spirit. We don't believe this kind of thing in America because we're so sensible. We believe in science can prove everything. Well, there are some things science can't prove. Science cannot define love. It can only give you the effects of it. The Truth is that there are things beyond our physical senses We believe the Bible teaches that God is the creator of the visible and the invisible. And so when you think about this type of teaching, I want you to refrain from thinking that the devil's behind everything. Remember Flip Wilson, the comedian? What was his line? The devil made me do it. Well, let me tell you, the devil isn't leading you into adultery or stealing or cursing God's name. You're willfully doing that, but you may be influenced to do it. Firstly, I think sometimes I wonder if the, the phone that I have is not demonically possessed. <laughs> there are things that I get through Facebook that I'm thinking I shouldn't be looking at that. I will never forget the time my wife came to me and said, I keep getting these messages and I don't want to open them. Well, I said, well, let's open them. And we opened them and we both went, ugh. <gasps> You see, there is all kinds of activity that is around the world that is anti-God, that wants to rob us of our relationship with Jesus Christ and lead us away from God. That is what's demonic. Anything that curses the name of God or His Son, I want you to hear that. Anything that curses the name of God or His Son. We're living a time, unfortunately, when people have become so calloused to sin, they no longer even understand the Ten Commandments. I bet, and I don't, I'm don't. say this to my own shame as your pastor, but I bet that you would have a struggle right now in giving me the Ten Commandments, would you not? These are the things that separate people from God. Well, where am I going with all this? Well, Mary's, Mary's testimony is powerful. Because she is someone who had been delivered from darkness. She was under the influence of an anti-God attitude and a a devotion to a life that was not seeking God. And she was enveloped by it in such a way that she was possessed. That is what the Bible tells us is the darkness of sin. That when Adam and Eve fell from God, they were expelled from the garden. Why? Because they were wicked. You don't hear that word much these days, do you? Wicked. Unless some teenager is trying to say something that looks really fun to do. Man, that's wicked. Right? I still laugh at the advertisements in our day how how even Duncan Hines for the longest time would advertise their cakes, you know, their 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 mixes and on the box it would say sinfully delicious. Well, let me ask you, which would you choose? One that's sinfully delicious or one that righteously leads you in not having any fun? See, that's the way the world paints life. You, however, have been called to a different way of living, haven't you? That's why John writes this. He wants us to understand that Mary was one of those people who used to live differently. And when she came to experience Christ and his teaching and how he delivered her from the things that once held her away from God, she found out that actually God loved her and that she could have a relationship with him. In fact, it it so enamored her life that we are told in Luke 8 that she followed Jesus And his disciples from town to town to town, helping them in every way that she could. She followed him to Jerusalem when he went into the city on Palm Sunday. She, even when the disciples fled Jesus in the garden, followed him as he was led after being arrested back to Jerusalem. That's devotion. The most amazing thing in Mark chapter 15, she is at the cross watching him die. And undoubtedly filled with tremendous emotions. How could anyone crucify this man who had delivered me from the things that I had done to destroy myself? Can't you feel the emotion? As she would stand there gazing at the cross, watching someone who loved her when no one else did and delivered her from something she could not deliver herself from was hanging there bleeding and dying with no discernible reason. But then on the day when she was dealing with her grief with other women and came to the tomb, she found it open. And to her shock, she immediately assumed that Jesus' body was stolen. Well, she went back to the disciples, and she told them, the tomb is open. Remember the story? Peter and John, they ran as hard as they could to the tomb. They looked inside, and they saw the grave clothes undisturbed, except the body was no longer there. And they were just like, what is going on? Well, instead of becoming bold witnesses of Christ, they ran back to the upper room and hid with the rest of the disciples trying to figure out, what's going on here? What has happened? And they're probably racking their brain thinking, where is the body of Jesus? And it's there that John records for us in the 20th chapter this tremendous story about how Mary, in her grief, cannot let go of him and goes back to the tomb. And what does she do? She looks in there, and she sees two men. Well, that must have been a shock. Obviously, she was putting things together. I don't know about you. I'm not a conspiratist. I have a cousin who lives in Washington who still tells me about all the conspiracies that are happening in the nation right now. And it kind of just grows cold on me, honestly. Honestly. I mean, it's a government plot to do this and that. Well, Mary probably thought this is it. This is the government plot. This is how Jesus is going to be taken care of. And so as she goes back to the when she begins to say to herself, how in the world did all this happen? She finds these two men, and what does the scripture say? Did you look back on that? It says so clearly, amazingly, it says that when she looked in and saw the two men, one at his head and one at his feet, they they looked at her and they said, why are you crying? And she responds, they have taken my Lord away. The famous they, you know who they are, by the way? Who are they? Well, it doesn't matter. They did it. And as she's looking at them and saying they and weeping her eyes out, moment of pathos says I I don't know where they have put him Hmm. and it's at that moment John tells us and he got the story obviously from Mary because no one else is around she turns around and she sees a man and she thinks oh it's the gardener the gardener and he asks woman why are you crying is it you're looking for and in the grief she cries out if if you have carried him away tell me where you have put him I, I will go get him I'll set this straight I'll make this injustice right and it's at that point with one word that Jesus reveals to her who he is Do you think that maybe she just went, oh, Jesus, how are you? (laughs) No. No, 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 no. She cried out, Rabboni. Do you think she just stood there? Here is where this particular passage gets very, very hard because many people have said that the next part of this basically is a telling of Jesus' form after the resurrection because he tells her in verse 17 do not hold on to me why why some scholars have looked at this and said well Jesus' resurrected body was not fully formed yet so he couldn't be grabbed well if that's true then why did he reveal himself to Thomas and say here touch and see right no, it doesn't fit the story. There are others who look at this passage and say, well, she's having a, a, you know, one of those grieving visions. And, and the vision is that Jesus is an apparition as he's there and he's, he, you know, he's got to finish this, this business of, of trying to get a resurrected body so he's going to ascend to get it and then come back. But let me tell you, there is nothing in the Scriptures that tells us Jesus ascended twice In fact, you find in Acts chapter 1 is the only place where he ascended, and it was before the eyes of everyone who was standing with him. But what then is this business? Well, I want to tell you that I'm convinced that what John is telling us is that when Mary saw Jesus, she could do nothing but either fall on her legs and knees and hold on to his feet or grab him around the waist. I don't know if you've ever been hugged like that, but it's frightening Because when somebody hugs you like that, it is like they are never going to let you go. And in that moment, Jesus tells her, Mary, don't don't hold on to me. Go and tell the disciples what you've seen. Tell them I am resurrected. And, And the most amazing thing is the reason Jesus tells her this is that it is important for her to know the why. Why must she let him go? Here is the truth of what the resurrection teaches us concerning Jesus. Jesus is not the same person he was in his earthly ministry, though he is the same person. What do I mean by that? He is now a different thing. This is what Paul talks about in, in Corinthians. He talks about the resurrected body. Personally, I'm putting in an order for hair. I don't know about you, but I'd like to have enough to to kind of comb through. But but that's just a joke. Because the truth is when the resurrected body comes, when Jesus is standing before her, he eats, he drinks, he's held, he's grasped by others. This resurrected body is glorified in a way that is meant to be eternal. What we see in the frailty of this body that's wasting away, Jesus is now resurrected in a body that will be forever, never to decay. And the most amazing thing about this is this resurrection not only speaks about Jesus just walking out of the tomb, it talks about a a way in which God has done something for us that gives us an assurance of tomorrow and eternity because that God who raised Jesus from the dead is going to raise you and give you a glorified body. This This is what Paul teaches us. And that those who have been here, how many years has this church been here? Since 1765, that every person who has believed in the Lord Jesus Christ on that day when it comes will too join Christ in that resurrection. In fact, it says that he was in Colossians the firstborn from among the dead, meaning that there will be many who will follow. Well, here's the most amazing part of this. Jesus goes on to tell her, Mary, don't hold on to me because, notice the verse, I have not yet ascended to my Father. Well, what does he mean by that? Well, it's amazing when you think about the ascension because you can't separate it from the resurrection, though it happened 40 days later after the resurrection. If you go to Acts 1, you will see that, that Luke records for us there that Jesus had been raised from the dead, according to Acts 2.36, he says that God has made him both Lord and Christ. This was the first sermon that Peter, Peter preached, that this Jesus you crucified has now God has raised from the dead and elevated and put at the highest place of authority at the right hand of God. But in that elevation, Jesus wasn't an apparition. He wasn't a, a spirit that hovered over the face of the ground. He was a resurrected body that men held and he ate and he was one who walked among them. Paul proclaims in Romans chapter 1, verse 4, that Jesus was dis- designated Son of God in power according to the spirit of holiness by his resurrection from the dead. And so the proclamation of the resurrection, that As important as it is, it includes the significance of what we will know as the ascension, and that is Jesus in his body, his human body, is going to be taken up into heaven in 40 days, and his humanity will be in the presence of God, thereby bridging what was once broken by sin. He will reunite God with humanity in the way that God intended from the very beginning in the garden powerful isn't it? And So when you think of the, the magnitude of what's happening here one of the things that comes is that this resurrection speaks of something that that happens in three ways. First it will be at the ascension that the end of Jesus's earthly ministry will come. What do I mean? The next forty days after he visits with Mary in the garden and she's mistakenly thinking he's a gardener but now realizes he's the Lord For 40 days after that, Jesus will teach the disciples what God had in mind in starting the church. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. That the gospel will be preached around the world and that many people from nations, tribes, tongues will come and profess Christ and be saved. That God has done something so enormously important that a new age is being born, and it is a new age where Jesus is not going to walk among us. His spirit is going to be within our hearts. Now that I have Jesus in my heart, you see, what does the the song sing we just sang? We're looking for that day. What that day? That day when he will return. Why will he return? Because he ascended, and the angels who tore with told the disciples there when they saw him ascending, said, why are you staring in heaven? Don't you realize you have work to do? Jesus, you've seen ascend into heaven will come in the same way. Man, I wish it was today, don't you? But not only is the resurrection and the ascension, the closing of Jesus' earthly ministry, it's the beginning of his exalted ministry at the right hand of God. What do we mean by that? Well, if you go to Acts 2, Mary was witnessing that Jesus, who is now exalted, is exalted because he never sinned. Death could not hold him, and therefore he's entitled to be restored to the glory that he gave up when he left the Father to become incarnate. But more importantly, he went into that exaltation because now he dispenses the Holy Spirit to those who believe in him in such measure that this is where our faith in Christ comes from. Not from us. It comes from the power of God at work in us. And that's why we believe. But thirdly and finally this morning, It releases that power of God, that same power that was at work in raising Jesus from the dead as we go out and proclaim the gospel. That same power that raised Christ from the dead is raising dead people lost in sin and giving them new life through hearing the gospel. You got children who who don't know God? Their only hope is the gospel. Their only hope. And they know it. Well, then how important is the gospel? My friends, if we of a church have forgotten the gospel, or if we decide we're not going to focus on the gospel, or if for some reason we're not going to emphasize the gospel, we need to close the doors and never come back. Why? Why? Because if Christ is raised from the dead, he is also ascended into heaven, and all authority and power has been given unto him. And what does he say? Go and make disciples. I was talking with a young woman years ago who was asking me, well, why in the world are you coming from South Carolina to a seminary in Massachusetts? What's wrong with you? And I said, well, I, I'm, I'm really believing that I need to live a better life. And she said, well, I'm living a good life. And I said, well, are you, are you loving God and serving him? And she said, yeah, well, in my own way. And I thought, well, I'm sure you are, but are you doing it in Christ's way? And she kind of looked at me puzzled. Do you know who a Christian really is? A Christian is someone who obeys Jesus. Which brings me to a whole other problem, and it's really a sermon for another day. Do I obey Jesus? Do I obey him? Because Jesus said, only those who keep my commandments are mine. Well, that makes me want to go back to the beginning of John, doesn't it? Look through it very carefully and say, what has Jesus commanded me? What has Jesus commanded me? Because there and there alone do I discern whether I have come to love him and serve him or not. I mean, could you imagine? Could you imagine? Mary's just grabbing onto him and he says, Mary, let me go and go and tell the brothers that I'm resurrected. And she said, well, Lord, I, I might do that tomorrow. Maybe, maybe next month, you know. I just want to stay here and be with you. That's silly, isn't it? That's the problem we're facing in the church today, my friends. Honestly. I struggle with it in my own life. If I truly believe that Christ was raised from the dead, then I have to believe he was exalted and and ascended into heaven. And the real question of my life today is do I love him, and do I keep his commandments? And when we don't, the world has reason to make fun of us. I need to ask God, God, do I live with integrity? Well, that's why this table has been set for you, so that you might come to the Lord and deal with him honestly, because this table has been set for sinners like us who desperately want to know Jesus, and his presence is available to you this morning. He's been speaking to you already, hasn't he? Our Father and our God, as we think about these things and we take in the witness that you gave through Mary as she was delivered from so much in her life, we we think about how you delivered us from things. From things we are too ashamed of to talk about and you delivered us from them. You forgave us and cleansed us and called us to yourself. And so that may may this, this sacrament of the Lord's Supper remind us of that tremendous gift that you have given us that we are called to a new life of loving God and and endeavoring to pursue him with all of our mind, our heart, our soul, our strength. And so, Lord Jesus, as we sing our last hymn and we prepare for communion, come, Lord, be among us and speak to us of eternal things. We ask and we pray in the name of Christ, our Lord. And the people of God said together,